These verses tell us we cannot outgive the Lord. He always gives back. Acts 20.35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Proverbs 19.17 says, He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. The giver will be blessed, paid back from God. A good measure, shaken down, pressed down, and running over, a heaping amount running over, will be poured into your lap. That's the promise. You know what? Many Christians don't believe it. Many of us think we have to hang on to it. It's a natural tendency. We're brought up that way. We're conditioned that way. Let me give you an illustration. Financial planners will tell you there are three stages in the uh, career over a lifetime of financial planning. The accumulation stage, we all can kind of identify with that. The preservation stage And the distribution stage, a lot of people think the distribution stage is the most difficult, whether it's distributing to children or grandchildren or church or other charity. A lot of people never get out of the accumulation stage. (laughs) Even though they may hit the target number they think most they'll ever need. A few years ago, a well-known financial firm ran a series of commercials on TV, and uh, they presented people doing different activities. Uh, one man was walking through the park, and what is his target number? His number was $642,914. Then they showed a picture of a lady riding a bicycle. Her number was $813,775. Then the next guy, his target number, he was working in his garden. His target number was $1,281,544. And, of course, the implication was that this firm could help you get to that target number. But the idea was to set a finish line uh, with an amount accumulated so that you could move into this preservation stage and not have to do anything for the rest of your life. The idea is how much cash is needed for you to stockpile at retirement and be in a position where you don't have to do anything, uh, if, if, assuming I don't give anything away. Well, actually, accumulation and preservation and distribution should be occurring simultaneously. We should be giving from the first day we're accumulating. That's what the Lord says. Giving to the Lord is not just a question of faith. It's a question of obedience, too. And trust and obey are the keys to Christian living. Now, the session decided we would have one or two stewardship sermons uh, this month. Uh, George has already locked the doors in the back. Uh, but I was hesitant at first about that, and I decided to share some principles of Christian giving that I've taken from several messages by John MacArthur and some other Christian leaders, and, and they're reflected in the first half of chapter 8 that we read. In the text we read today, Paul is providing the Corinthian people an illustration for the model of Christian giving. The issue is meeting the needs of the poor people in the original church in Jerusalem, the early church. They were poor people. And he's encouraging the the church in Corinth. He's writing to the Corinthian people, uh, which he had planted on his second missionary journey. He's encouraging them to give generous, significant gifts to support these poor believers in the original Jerusalem church. People gave to support the early church in two ways. First, they gave to support the leaders, the spiritual leaders. And Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians 9, along about verses 6 through 14, and uh, secondly, uh, 
people gave for the general population of the church, the people in needs in the general operations of the early church. And that's, that's the issue Paul is referring to here in chapter 8, meeting the needs of these poor saints in Jerusalem. And what comes out of all that is a general pattern for Christian giving throughout. A little background, the church in, Jer- in Jerusalem is an impo- impoverished congregation. Uh, we know that from the book of Acts. Uh, Book of Acts, the first few chapters, reflects tremendous growth from, from the original 120 believers gathered at Pentecost. That first day it grew to 3,000 believers, and a few days later it was nine, I'm sorry, 5,000 uh, men, is what it said. And they, of course, that implies that men were families. It could have been 10,000, 15, even 20,000 in just a few days. Uh, tremendous growth. Um, and then later on, this is talking about a couple of years later, so there's no telling how big the church would have been. But there are three reasons that the, these people were poor. First, they, these were primarily pilgrims that had come in from far parts of the earth, the Gentile ter- territories. Uh, Acts 2.25 lists the nations from the far reaches of the known world that came in. There were Hellenistic Jews scattered in the Gentile parts of the world. And they were converted. They were believers in Christ. And that was the church. And they didn't really want to go back. There was no church at home. It was, this was the only church in the early days. Um, again, they were persecuted when they were in Rome. Uh, not so much, well, there probably was some physical harm, uh, threats. Uh, but they were primarily economically uh, persecuted. They didn't fit into the uh, Jewish society, the community there, because of their beliefs. They couldn't get jobs. They were alienated from moving into jobs, and so they had no way to earn income. And then thirdly, the Roman Empire was weak economically. The people in Rome were wealthy, but the far reaches of Palestine was a weak and poor part of the Roman Empire. Uh, and plus, the Romans extracted all they could from the people living there in the form of taxes. You know, they, their strategy was to hire Jewish people that knew who was wealthy and who could pay, and, such as Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a Jew that was a chief tax collector, and they taxed him to the max. When people had a little cart they pulled behind them with what they were going to sell, they taxed the wheels on the cart, the number of wheels in the morning going to work. And when they came back, they taxed the number of axles. I mean, did all kinds of things to take money for them. So these were poor people. And Paul is writing to the Corinthians in this sec- second book he wrote. And uh, he uses churches in northern Greece in an area called Macedonia, in northern Greece, that, that he had started earlier in his second journey, and he uses them as an illustration of people who are also poor, but who gave voluntarily. They didn't have much. They were extremely poor. And this is a tremendous example as it becomes the Christian model for giving that sets up our understanding of how to give. The Macedonian people in that area had been under strict Roman control also for about 200 years. The Romans came in and took over their business, taxed them, they, they were poor, and so they were without much. The three churches in that area are churches we've heard of. The church in Philippi, uh, Book of Philippians, church in Berea, and the church in Thessalonica. And so those were the three churches Paul is talking about here. Now, according to verse 6, uh, Titus, who was working with Paul, had already made a beginning in collecting money in Corinth to support the church in Jerusalem. 
He had, he had started the church, and Paul had started the church during his second journey and ministered there for about 18 months, and then he moved over to Ephesus. They had had this, uh, these false teachers had come in and developed this insurrection, this, this rebellion against Paul's teaching for a temporary amount of time. And all that's reflected in Acts 18 as we go through and study the back book of Acts. And so uh, there were some false teachers and giving that they had started had dropped off some as a result. And Titus went back about a year before uh, 2 Corinthians was written. That's reflected in verse 10 of what we just read. And he went to encourage them to keep it up or continue or restart the giving to, as it says in verse 11, finish the work, complete the work of giving. And so Paul writes 2 Corinthians and gives this example in the 8th chapter to, of the Macedonian churches. Uh, Paul, so Paul was collecting for all the churches that he had started on his second journey, and he was doing this. One reason he was doing this, he wanted to demonstrate that the believing Jews and the Gentiles were one in Christ. Everybody that believed was of one body in Christ, and we should support each other, and those most in need were the ones in Jerusalem. Verse 10 of the scripture this morning says that the Corinthians were the first new Christians to give and the first to have a desire to give. And they were the first to establish a pattern of giving. It dropped off with this little insurrection deal, but that now it had kind of, that was a temporary thing. And so now they'd come back. And Paul says these Macedonians are devout believers, and here is how devout Christians should give. And this is an example to the Corinthians then and to us now. And so I'm going to list these principles, and you can sort of follow along with the handouts you have, beginning in verse 1. The first principle is their giving is motivated by God's grace. In verse 1 it says, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. They gave not to be kind or to be good people or to show their philanthropy, they, but what motivated them was the grace of God at work in their hearts, producing this generosity. One of the effects of God's grace is a desire to give generously and sacrificially. So point two would be their giving transcends difficult circumstances. Verse two says, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So the giving, verse 2 says, came during a great ordeal of affliction. Another translation would say ordeal of affliction. Difficult circumstances had no negative effect, effect on their giving. Even though they were poor, the Romans had strict control over them. And so we can kind of identify with this. We go through difficult circumstances. We have our week planned out and all of a sudden the transmission falls out of our car and we can't get anywhere it's $4,500 to put a new transition, transmission in. We weren't expecting that. Or we have a health issue and find out it's not covered by insurance. We weren't expecting that. Or something happens to our job and it affects our income. So they, the, the, these people were also taxed to the limit by the Romans, and they still gave and were blessed for it. Um, look at what Paul says to one of these churches, the church in Philippi. In Philippians 4.19, Paul says to them, And my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. This is one of the most encouraging promises in all the Bible. He's talking to us too. What a promise from God to us. 
my God will meet all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. That's a promise to, to, from the Lord to us that gives us a bottom line foundation of confidence. That's our security against financial disaster. If, if we believe it, we have to believe it. Point three is their giving is with joy. Uh, Verse two includes this phrase, their overflowing joy. They were happy to give. It's not just out of a duty. It made them happy, joyous to give with an abundance of joy. Even in hard times, they were joyful. Despite being in severe trial, taxed to the limit. Second Corinthians nine, seven says, God loves a cheerful giver. It was not reluctant giving, but joyful giving. And maybe that's why we ought to look forward to it. It's, it's with joy. It gives us joy in our hearts. Point four was their giving was not hindered by poverty. Uh, verse two says their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. I mean extreme. They gave in spite of being in real poverty. I mean they had very little. What story in the New Testament does, does this remind you of? Reminds me of the widow who had two small coins, that's all she had, two copper coins worth less than a penny, and put them in the offering plate. And uh, let's see what Jesus said. The poor widow put in more than all the other contributors to the treasury. They put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned. Probably had to fast that day. That was all she had to to eat that day and uh, had to do without This is an especially important story. This concept the Lord has given us is important. It's not only in the Gospels, in the New Testament Gospels. It's in there twice. We know it's important. It's in Luke 21, and it's in Mark 12. And as I reread that story in Mark 12 this week, something jumped off the page. I'd never, it never caught my attention before. See if you pick this up. Mark tells us, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in these two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Isn't that interesting? Jesus was in the temple area, and he found a place to sit down near the collection box just to watch people give. It doesn't say he was in the temple teaching and talking to people, and he glanced over and happened to notice people giving money in the collection box. It says he sat down there deliberately with the intention of watching what people gave. You know what? He's still doing it. He's still doing it. I may think that what I give is my business and nobody else's. It's his business. He has allowed me to have what I own. And he has every right to know what I give. I reveal my spiritual character in my giving. He's still sitting close enough to observe what we give. Interesting story. I'd never caught that out of that story before. Interesting how you can read the New Testament, a a story you've read many times earlier, and something new just jumps off the page at you. The Macedonians were also in poverty, but their giving was not hindered by it. Point five, their giving was generous. Verse two goes on to say, welled up in rich generosity. They were rich in generosity. They were not rich in money or possessions. They were, they were uh, rich in single-minded, selfless, humble devotion to others and to God. They put others first. 
Paul wants the Corinthians to be rich in their single-minded generosity like the Macedonians. And Paul is simply saying to us, be generous to a measure that's sacrificial and trust God to meet your needs in the future. So believe in the promise made in Philippians 4.19. Now we should take care of our own business and our own families and things. Uh, God gives us many things to enjoy and he wants us to take care of our family and ourselves But he also asked us to respond by giving out of what we have. Point six, their giving was proportionate. Verse three says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, or according to their ability, it was proportionate. God doesn't expect us to give what we don't have. He expects us to give according to our ability. This doesn't set a fixed amount. It does not say give 10%. It doesn't say give 15 or 5 It simply says they gave according to their ability. And here everybody was different. When Paul and Titus first began collecting uh, uh, from the Corinthians to send money back, some of the Corinthians had questions, had questions how to give and how do we give to spiritual leaders. And I've already mentioned one verse where Paul addresses that. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 16.2, it says, Paul is addressing how to give. It says, on the first day of each week, Let each one of you put aside a sum of money in keeping with his income so that when I come, no collections of income will have to be made. Uh, Put aside at the first of each week. It doesn't say wait till the end of the week and give out of what is left over. If it be me, that that would be nothing at the end of the week. But give at the first of the week. Also, some of us are on monthly incomes instead of weekly back then, so it could be the first of the month, the first check written out of the checkbook that, that month. Again, uh, give according to your ability. God doesn't expect us to go into debt. Giving was not only proportionate, but it was sacrificial. Point number seven, in proportions that were sacrificial. Verse three goes on to say, even beyond their ability. Talking about the Macedonians, beyond their ability. Little story, Michelle and I... uh, we were members of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church for almost 14 years before we moved to Cumming. That's a PCA church on top of Lookout Mountain. has about 800 members. Their budget uh, gives 55% to missions. has some wealthy people there. Uh, we became friends with a well-known couple of fairly significant wealth while there. and They had had a church revival a number of years before we arrived in this couple a well-to-do couple, they decided to change their lifestyle, sell some things and increase their giving. And so they got rid of their lake house. They said, you know, our children are grown. We don't go to the lake house but once or twice a year now. We're going to sell that. And while we're selling that, we really don't go to our Colorado house in the mountains, in the Rocky Mountains anymore. I think we'll sell that. If we're not going to go to Colorado anymore, we don't need that airplane. We're going to sell that. And we have a custom of buying a new car, a new luxury car every year. We probably could let, make it last more than a year. So we're, as, a, as a result of all these adjustments, they significantly increase their income. And I was meeting with this man one, once, and uh, if I said his name, everybody in Chattanooga would know who it is, a very well-known person. But he said, you know, I keep giving money away, and i got a problem. My wealth keeps increasing, keeps coming back to me. I, said, that is a real problem. <laughs> the family now controls the largest private family foundation in the state of Tennessee. 
They give exclusively to Christian causes. I was sitting down with this man at lunch one time, and he said, you know, he was explaining his gifting plan. He said, I give 70% of my income. And he got a little scowl on his face. He said, but, you know, something worries me. I said, what you worried about? He said, he said, it's still not sacrificial enough. It's not sacrificial enough. I said, well, look, man, you, your car is 11 years old now. It's got 265,000 miles on it. It's a little bit sacrificial. He looked at me and said, I think I'm going to 75%. And he did. He did. Giving by these three Macedonian churches was beyond what was expected of such poor Christians, but it works for everybody. They, they were certainly sacrificial. Number eight, their giving was voluntary. Verse three ends with entirely on their own. It wasn't commanded. It wasn't required. They gave of their own accord, their own free will, their own initiative, their own free volition, spontaneous, self-motivated, voluntary. They weren't coerced. They weren't manipulated in any way. It was voluntary. So what we find in verse three here is that giving is proportionate. Giving is sacrificial, and giving is voluntary. It is not required. Leaves it up to us. This leads us into the thought that giving is supposed to be 10%. Now, isn't that the traditional number? Isn't that what we've always been taught, 10%? And I still believe that. The word tithe means 10%. The Greek word decad for tithe means one-tenth. Doesn't seem to fit here. It says, give according to your ability. Everybody's different. If it's intended to be 10%, why is the 10% not mentioned here or anywhere else in the New Testament? And the answer is, I'm not sure. But it comes from the Old Testament. In the law of Moses, the Jews were, the Jews were directed to give 10%. Even before Moses, Abraham and Jacob gave 10%. And it's an Old Testament number. In fact, under Mosaic law, there was a 10% gift required according to Numbers 18 to support the Levites. The Levites were the branch of the, the family of the Hebrew nation that did not own land, no land allocated. They didn't have income. They were priests to the rest of the nation. And so there was a required 10% giving. Then Deuteronomy 12 called for a 10, 10% as a, to support the uh, the national celebrations, the religious festivals. God was ordaining the festivals. They had these to keep the, uh, the purpose was to keep them united, to keep the Hebrew nation together. And then uh, yesterday we got in the mail or by email uh, through our generosity uh, giving program, uh, Deuteronomy 26.12 and also mentioned in Deuteronomy 14.28 calls for a 10% gift every three years called the poor tithe for widows and orphans and strangers and those in need. Not required, but free will. And so they, this 10% is an Old Testament number. And so is the idea of the first fruits. First fruits is mentioned several times in Deuteronomy 26 and 18. They're the first gifts, the first 10%, the best of the annual sacrifices or the best of the produce was given. So the 10% is a standard under the Old Testament. It's just that when I look at this, the Hebrew nation seemed to have more than one 10% required. But I can just testify that I've observed many times that the Lord honors a 10% tithe. And I believe it's on a gross income number, but that's just me. But the Lord does honor a 10% tithe. 
uh, item number nine is giving was viewed as a privilege, not an obligation. Notice verse four. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Literally, the word, the Greek word there means to come alongside earnestly. They were begging for the opportunity to give. Why? They wanted to be blessed. They were begging for the privilege. They were literally begging for the personal blessing of sharing in the needs of the saints, people they had never met and they probably never would meet. There weren't a lot of travel opportunities from Corinth to Jerusalem in those days. Um, it was out of their generous hearts, out of their, their desire to have a privilege, not an obligation. Uh, number 10, their giving was an act of worship. It was a part of their worship. Verse 5 says, they gave not as expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. Total dedication. Paul and Titus were saying, we were hoping for an offering. They gave themselves. They gave everything they had. Verse 5 says, they did not do as we expected. They gave themselves. Recall Romans. Romans 12, the first couple of verses, what that says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Well, that's what the Macedonians were doing. They first gave themselves, and everything else followed. It was a supreme act of worship, total dedication by these poor Macedonians. Eleven, their giving was in submission to their pastors and church leaders. Paul and Titus were their pastors and church leaders, and there's some others that are unnamed in in this uh, chapter 8 and 9. Um, but they gave themselves to the Lord, but they also gave to us in keeping with God's will. And the us there, let me read that again. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us, meaning the church leaders, in keeping with God's will. Um, As I mentioned earlier, some false teachers had stirred up this rebellion or insurrection against Paul and, and the teaching of Christ uh, earlier, and it interrupted the giving uh, uh, by the church in Corinth. Uh, they were now on board as, as Titus went back and gave a report, but whenever people in a church become disillusioned about their leaders, their giving drops off. It happened in Corinth, and it happens today. Whenever you don't have a senior pastor, <laughs> your giving drops off a little bit, and that's whenever somebody's uh, body is discontent, uh, Something happens to the operations of the church. We're at one of those critical times in the life of Parkway, similar to the Corinthians. The Corinthians had questions. We, we have questions, too. And that's why it's important to have this stewardship campaign. There are questions on people's minds. Uh, we haven't had a senior pastor for a while now. And we need to have the funds to bring the one God has already chosen. That person is out there. It's already chosen. And we are not the ones setting the timing. God is setting the timing for all this. Number 12, I've got two more. Giving was in concert with other Christian virtues. Verse 7 says, But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Giving is not in isolation. It's not... It's not contrary to what's in our heart. It's in harmony with other Christian virtues. A heart filled with faith is a generous heart. It works in concert with other Christian virtues. And finally, 
Lastly, but probably the most important, their giving was a proof of love. Verse 8 says giving proves love. Giving is done out of love, not by command. It should be totally voluntary out of love. Verse 8, I'll quote, says the whole verse, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. So those are principles of Christian giving. And just to summarize though, those, the, the Macedonians were our model here. They were the model for the illustration for the Corinthian people. They're our model also. They show us that giving is to be initiated by grace. It's to be a supernatural kind of giving. It's to transcend difficult circumstances. It's to be done with joy. It's not hindered by poverty. It's to be generous. It's to be proportionate. It's to be sacrificial. It should be voluntary. It is to be sought as a privilege, not an obligation. And it's a part of our worship. It's to be done in submission to pastors and spiritual leaders. It's to be consistent with other Christian virtues. And it is to confirm our love to God, to his church, and to his people. That's Macedonian giving. It's the giving of devout Christians, and it's the path to blessing from the Lord as he has promised. As we heard from John and Martha today, too. And it's our model to follow as well. Let's pray. Father, we're so blessed. You have shown us the path to being blessed. It's an avenue of, a, of an abundant life. It's a direction to obedience. May we take this opportunity to walk in your blessing. Lord, teach us to, be, to believe in your promises. Give and it shall be given to you. I pray that we will all believe this promise and the promise you make in Philippians 4.19 that you will meet all of our needs according to your glorious riches in Jesus Christ. And it is his name we pray. Amen.
Remain standing for the benediction from the book of Joshua. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified of them. Do not not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Amen.